Welcome back to the Relentless Project. We're here at episode four of the first season of the Survivor's Toolbox. And we're going to be talking about acknowledging, acknowledging and respecting where you are in this journey now. If you're new here, welcome to the Relentless Project, where we explore life beyond surviving child sexual abuse. And just a friendly reminder, I'm not a trained therapist or a counselor. The Relentless Project is a free resource using existing literature and credible nonprofit resources available online, all dedicated to our lovely community of sexual assault survivors. If you're able to, finding therapy or counseling can be a valuable component to healing from sexual assault or abuse. And just remember that this is your journey. Take this at your own pace. You can always stop and pause this when you need to. And this will always be here for you. We're going to take it back to an overview of the Survivor's Toolbox. One, taking a moment to honor yourself. Two, finding and making a safe space. Three, acknowledging and respecting where you are in this journey now. Four, understanding what pace to take. Five, removing the excess baggage. Six, allowing yourself a support system. Seven, understanding how to nurture yourself. And eight, knowing what to expect. And so yes, depending on where you are, it may be difficult to have all these eight tools mastered under your belt, but knowing all of them at the least, gives us something to work toward. Okay, so acknowledging where you are in this journey now, what do I mean by that? When I say that, I really just mean taking the time to take stock, taking the time to reflect. And this is going to be a significant time of reflection. Reflection is a very powerful tool. And I recommend doing it very often. Um, I will be talking about a lot of things in this episode. Um, I'm going to split it up into four different components, but I do recommend doing some sort or some form of self-reflection daily, weekly, monthly, in the middle of the year, every year. And The reason why I say that is because the only way for us to grow is to understand where we start and to understand where we are at a given time as we progress through our own healing path. I'll be talking about four different components, all separate but definitely interlinked in so many ways. I'll be dividing everything that we will be talking about in terms of the mind, the body, the spirit. And I added a fourth category called self-sustainment, which I'll describe later. And now don't feel like you need to address all of these things at once. Maybe you'll need to focus on a single category for a session at four different times, or maybe there's just one that's the most important for you. 
And I recommend taking maybe about an hour to reflect in the best way that you can. Um, But because this is so deep delving, I recommend at least an hour and definitely some extra time to um, just kind of absorb everything in and maybe self-regulate if that's something that you need to do. And think about when when the last time it was that you checked in with yourself. Keep track of how often you check in. Um, if you go on to the website at www.relentlesspodcast.com, I will have detailed timestamps for this episode, but I'll also have a worksheet to help guide you through this reflection since it's so deep delving um, and a handout from the therapist aid that includes some very helpful grounding techniques. And just pay attention to the things that speak the most to you at the very end of this. And some of the things to consider before you take stock or fully acknowledge where you are in your journey is timing. Try not to do this right before you have to do something really important. Definitely take some time to reflect or discuss this with someone that you trust. And trust in yourself. Know your limits. Doing more is not always better. And that's something that Laura Bass and, um, sorry, Ellen Bass and Laura Davies say in The Courage to Heal. And I absolutely agree. I remember when I was going through a great deal of burnout and I was seeing my therapist, who I adore. And she was walking me through different reflection exercises. I was having a really hard time. And when I got to that point where I started to get get worked up or emotional, um, she would have me self-regulate. And I was surprised because I thought that it was a little too early to start self-regulating and to, to step back. But she taught me a very important lesson in that even if we are capable of holding a certain amount of emotion, even though we feel like we are capable of holding a certain amount of pain, it's important to take a step back and ground ourselves um, and to perform a self-grounding technique and to breathe in between bouts of strong, uh, deep digging reflection. And the reason why is um, because although it's very important to reflect, it it can be very unhealthy to start obsessing over certain emotions and thoughts. And it can be very difficult to manage that in ourselves, especially if we're just starting out. So definitely trust in yourself and know your limits. And if you don't know what your limits are, um, definitely take it in small bouts, okay? And make sure that your emergency contacts are within reach, your support system, whether that's someone that you know in your survivor group, maybe a therapist, maybe a trusted friend, and um, choose a few grounding techniques for when you need to step away. I will include a link for 
grounding techniques from the Therapist Aid website. My sister actually gave that resource to me while we were talking about mindfulness and grounding techniques in between panic attacks. And so that will definitely be included in the blog post for this episode. And I know I say this like a broken record, but healing is not linear. There's no one way to heal. Where you are is where you need to be right now. And we're just taking the time to notice things. And lastly, the resources that I've used in this episode will definitely be mentioned at the end and also included in detail with timestamps in the website www.relentlesspodcast.com. So we're going to go ahead and consider the four different components in our reflection. Um, A lot of them are interlinked. I've mentioned them before. I'm going to be talking about the mind, the spirit, the body, and then self-sustainment as a completely different component that I've added there. You always hear about the mind, body, and spirit, but I wanted to go ahead and add a self-sustainment category just because I think that it's uh, pretty important. Okay, and I'll talk about that more later. But we're going to go ahead and start with the mind. Does your mind feel like it's racing or resisting at the thought of reflecting and taking this moment to pause? Do you have the mental space to learn and experience life around you? Do you feel like you have the mental space to learn or to enjoy different experiences? And what I mean by that is do you feel like you have intrusive thoughts throughout the day? Is it hard to focus at work or at school? Or is it difficult to be present when you are the people that you love or care about? Do you find that you need to rely on alcohol or drugs to get away from your own head? And again, we're not looking to do anything about it. We're just looking to notice and reflect. And so as we go through this exercise, think about these things and write about them. Write about the things that stand out the most for you. The next category that we'll be talking about is the spirit. The Oxford Dictionary says that spirit is the non-physical part of a person, which is the seat of emotions and character or the soul. In The Courage to Heal, Ellen Bass and Laura Davies say that spirituality is staying in touch with a part of you that is choosing to heal, that wants to be healthy, integrated, and fully alive. Your spirit is basically the root of your life's drive and willingness to live a full and vibrant life that is beyond surviving from day to day. And looking within ourselves can make us feel very vulnerable, but it's This vulnerable place where we can find answers within ourselves if we do it safely and we do it wisely. And so some of the questions that I think are important to consider are, one, what type of relationship do you have with your emotions? Do you feel like you shove them deep down often? Is there something that you do specifically to stay away from your emotions? Or do you find that you numb or space out? 
I actually want to share my own personal experience here. So I had a very complicated relationship with my emotions growing up from a very unpredictable and abusive home. And it wasn't just the sexual abuse that happened in the middle of my childhood, but there was a lot of mental abuse, hidden physical abuse that I later witnessed. And I didn't have a good example of what it was like to manage strong emotions. In my house, they were either dangerously suppressed or expressed in ways that harmed others physically and mentally. And sometimes I saw it as self-harm from other people or as a threat of self-harm. I later learned or quickly learned as a kid to ignore my own emotions because I was the caregiver of my own family. It was my own way of surviving, this ability to take care of the emotions of other people in my own family. It was a means to survive. And so when I think about what life was like after that, or what it was like in high school and in college and in my early professional life, I realized that I had used my skills in suppressing my own emotions to join the military and to become a military nurse. And this, I realized, wasn't such an issue until I had gained my own ability to be self-reliant and independent and was no longer um, being cared for financially, physically by my parents. I realized that I couldn't feel emotions unless it was something that was significant, whether it was something that was really good and jarring or terrible and depressing. And I realized that I couldn't, there was this spectrum of emotions and feelings that I couldn't feel in between the very highs and the very lows. And when I realized that that was the case for me, I realized that I had a very, I had, that I, I realized that I hadn't looked into myself or asked the question why, because I never needed to. Suppressing my emotions was the way I survived my childhood, was the way that I was able to find independence. But I found myself needing and wanting to reconnect and understand my emotions because I realized there was an entire spectrum of life that I wasn't living. And that maybe that's the case for you. Do you hate the thought of the fact that you have emotions, that you have feelings? Is it something that scares you, that terrifies you? Is it something that angers you? And another question I want to bring up is, are you able to pinpoint how you feel at a given time? Do you feel like you're able to cry freely 
Or have you been angry a lot? Have you been depressed often? Do you feel like you have panic attacks more often? Or do you have a lot of nightmares? Can you tell where one emotion begins and where it ends? And can you recognize the difference between the emotions that you have? Like my personal, just like the personal experience I shared earlier, if we haven't learned to respect or recognize our own emotions, recognizing them can be very difficult. And sexual trauma is so complex. There's not just one emotion that you can feel at one time. It more than often, more often than not, you will have a gazillion emotions. And sometimes you recognize them as feelings, physical feelings in your gut that you don't like, that are very difficult to explain. When I was abused as a teenager, I constantly had unbearable migraines and I couldn't understand or recognize where one emotion ended and another one started. It was so overwhelming that my mind felt like a million long strands of sewing thread just jumbled up in a tight knot. I didn't know how to untangle it. I just knew it hurt and it was really difficult to cope with growing up and just trying to exist, trying to learn things at school. It was it was very difficult. And the other questions to think about are, how have you been able to handle obstacles in your life? How have you been dealing with anxiety or depression? Do you have panic attacks? Do you know how to deal with them? The Mayo Clinic defines panic attacks, if you don't know what it is, is that it's a sudden episode of intense fear that triggers severe physical reactions when there's no real danger or apparent cause. Panic attacks can be very frightening. When panic attacks occur, you might think that you're losing control, having a heart attack, or even dying. I didn't know for the longest time what a panic attack was, but I do remember I would have experiences or moments where I would feel um, triggered by a certain situation. I w- whenever I would feel trapped emotionally or in a car or whenever I was in an argument and um, uh, and the other person's voice would rise, I would feel an overwhelming sense of fear, of panic. I would feel terrified and I would have a sudden bout of anxiousness and I would I would react very violently, very loudly and I had this really bad habit of hitting myself during a panic attack. And it was something that I was very ashamed of. It was something that showed up in my relationship. It was something that I needed to work on in therapy. So consider whether or not you've had them. And again, 
We won't be doing anything about it right now, but just notice and recognize and maybe take note of it if it's something that you need to work on. Other questions include, who do you have for support? In whom have you been able to find support? And what kind of relationships do you have with others? Do you rely on a friend or a family member too heavily? Does your happiness depend on the happiness of other people? Do you feel like the relationships that you have are honest? Or do you become very uncomfortable when you don't get an answer right away through a text or an email? Or are you constantly seeking validation from others? Another question to consider is, what type of relationship do you have with yourself? And this is something that I think about often because it's something that I struggled for a very long time with. And I would sit down and I would think about, do I constantly apologize for taking up space in my thoughts, words, or actions? Ruby Carr, in her book, Milk and Honey, had this beautiful poem. And I thought it would be I thought it would be perfect to include in this part. And she says, trying to convince myself I am allowed to take up space is like writing with my left hand when I was born to use my right. And I think that this poem is so powerful because we are most definitely, we're taught, we're taught how to care for ourselves. We're taught how to love ourselves and what type of relationship we should have with ourselves when we grow up. And when there when that doesn't turn out right growing up, it's very difficult to take up space to feel like you are worthy enough to be at work or at school or amongst the people around you. And so think about that. Do you feel like do you feel like you are worthy enough to take up space? Are you patient with yourself? Can you comfortably take accountability for your actions? Do you have boundaries or proper boundaries? And while we're talking about the spirit, think about the challenges you've been through. What are the challenges that you've had to deal with and juggle with? And again, find a safe place to write this all down and just think about them. And now I want to save the body for last. And I want to focus a little bit on self-sustainment. This is something that everyone knows about, but isn't really quite talked about as often, I don't think, in the survivor community. But I think that it plays a very important role. And this is going to be geared more towards adults or um, independent folks. Um, but it's definitely worth thinking about if you're transitioning from a dependent state to a more independent phase in your life. And when I talk about self-sustainment, I'm talking about the basic necessities, a safe and steady home, a source of income, food security, or the ability to eat, 
or a support network or system for when any of these things are not consistent for you. And I bring this up because self-sustainment is um, a very important part, a very important cornerstone to um, all of the other things in our life. And and sometimes it can be a source of a lot of strain. Um, And the reason why I bring that here is because they are most definitely worth addressing and considering when you talk about Um, surviving, when you talk about surviving with trauma, when you're talking about living. Um, And there are so many things that I've learned as a nurse um, in grad school about just the effects of having basic necessities on someone's mental well-being, physical well-being. You can be trying so so hard in so many things, and yet Um, this might be consistent strain for some of us. And so when I go through these questions, um, my intent is not to completely whack or stress you out, but the intent of the different questions I bring up for reflection are so that you understand where you're at and maybe, and and kind of look at them from the perspective um, of as a whole next to the other categories in your life. And so we're not trying to fix anything here, but just to notice and kind of recognize um, what brings out the strongest feelings or emotions or the greatest amount of stress for us. Okay? So the first question I want to bring to you is, do you have a consistent safe place that you can come back to and call home? Do you feel financially independent and are you able to pay for your shelter and food? Maybe you live in abundance, maybe you don't. Maybe this is a source of significant strain. Do you take care of other people as a parent or maybe as a caregiver? Maybe someone cares for you. Maybe someone cares for you and your family. Do you have a steady job and if you do, Do you work in an environment that makes you feel mentally, emotionally, physically safe or in a steady job with dangers that you find a thrill in? Do you have a reliable source of income, a reliable source of transportation? Can you afford to eat healthy if that's something that you want to do? Having a home Food security, a steady job might be difficult for us, especially if our abuse or assault was met with increased expenses. Maybe it was the reason why we lost our job, or maybe these basic necessities are the reason why everything else seems to be falling apart. I can't give you all of the answers to every problem right this moment, but it's very important to remember that there is an answer for anything and everything if you look hard enough. There might be resources in your community or online that are available if you give yourself the opportunity to try. But for now, we're just noticing and just take note of the things that bring a lot of stress. Take note of the things that maybe you are proud of. Maybe you've, you've come from a place of hardship and you are now independent and you are now living in abundance. Just notice. 
And the last category I want to mention is the body. This reflection is on the long side, but it's very important to do if you have the time and space to do it. This part might also be difficult for many of us for obvious reasons as survivors of sexual assault or abuse. But the courage to heal reminds us survivors that healing from the body is an important part of healing the whole self. Vander Kolk, the author for The Body Keeps Score, says that trauma robs you of the feeling that you're in charge of yourself. The challenge of recovery is to reestablish ownership of your body and your mind, of yourself. This means feeling free to know what you know and to feel what you feel without becoming overwhelmed, enraged, ashamed, or collapsed. He also says traumatized people are often afraid of feeling. And later in life, it's not the perpetrator, but specific physical sensations that become the enemy. So asking yourself how you might feel in your body now might seem insignificant in concept, but really thinking about it can be a scary thing. But Vanderkolk says that simply being in touch with our bodies allows us to be in touch with ourselves internally. Noticing how we feel helps us to shift our perspective and to see options beyond our automatic and habitual actions. When we pay focused attention to our bodily sensations, we can recognize the ebb and the flow of our emotions. And with that, increase control over them. But today, we're just noticing and reflecting. And as I go through this, remember to take a pause and step back. If something triggers for you, honor your emotions. Don't ever forget that. Honor the process. Allow yourself the time to grieve and allow yourself the mental space by doing some grounding techniques and doing something completely unrelated and nourishing for you. But the first question that I want you to consider is, what does it feel like to be in your body now? We're going to start with a body scan that I've kind of loosely adopted from the Courage to Heal. And so maybe you'll want to do this standing up. So maybe you'll want to do this sitting down. Or maybe you want to lay on your back. But take a deep breath and focus just on your head. How does your head feel? Do you find your mind racing or distant? Do you feel tension? And is that tension concentrated on a specific spot? If you haven't already, close your eyes and notice the temperature, the pressure, and movement in and outside of your head. Try not to watch yourself from the outside, but experience what is happening from inside your head and your scalp at this moment. Notice how your eyes feel, how your jaws feel. Pay attention to your ears, your cheeks, your eyes and your lips. You're just noticing. 
You're not holding on to the things that you you see, that you think of. Just let it come and go as you work through this body scan. And then bring your attention down to your neck and your shoulders. What does your skin feel like? Your muscles, your bones. Move down to your arms, your wrists, your hands, your fingers, your fingertips. And as you take a nice deep breath in again and out, what does your chest feel like as it expands and how does it feel like to exhale? Continue your way down to your belly. Notice any tension there. How it moves as you breathe in and out. Then focus your way down to your hips, your pelvis, your groin, your thighs, your knees, your shins, and your feet. Notice which sensations were pleasant, neutral, or the ones that you'd rather do without. Did you feel a tendency to distance yourself from your body during any part of the scan? And were there places that felt empty or numb? In the past, places that were uncomfortable for you might have been a place that was important not to feel. And now we're just taking it in as valuable information. A body scan is a super helpful exercise. If you have a yoga practice or meditate frequently, this might be familiar to you. Be Courage to Heal recommends body scans for about five minutes each morning. And the sensations that you feel within your body and the emotions that might come with it are very important are a very important navigating system for us. And so as you deepen your connection with your body, you will gradually be able to feel more united with it. After you did that body scan, think about how it's felt like to be in your body in the recent days, weeks, months. Sometimes you forget in the rush from one thing to another. Maybe you usually hold tension in your upper back or you hold your abdomen taut without knowing it throughout the day. Maybe we get caught up in trying to shut out of feeling what it's like to live in our bodies. Maybe we've grown to be comfortably numb in ourselves, disconnected, separate from our own bodies. Maybe you space out often. Or maybe you found harmful ways to fight the numbness. Van der Kolk says that the emotions and the physical sensations that were imprinted during trauma are experienced not as memories, but as disruptive physical reactions in the present. Post-traumatic reactions are rooted in the emotional pain, and can show itself through physical reactions. This might be felt as gut-wrenching sensations. You might feel this as heart-pounding or maybe breathing too fast or too shallow. 
with a feeling of heartbreak, speaking with an uptight and reedy voice, or maybe body movements that indicate collapse, rigidity, rage, or defensiveness. And the other questions that are worth considering are, what is the relationship that you have with your body? Do you hide it from yourself or from others? Do you live with a physical disability? Or maybe you have multiple. Maybe you use drugs or alcohol more often than you should. Maybe you have a strained relationship with food. Consider whether or not you feel like you move your body often or enough. What type of movement does your body usually engage in? Do you get enough restful sleep? How do you treat your body? Do you feel like you respect it? Is this the first time that you've considered these things? I want to end this portion with a quote that really spoke to me. There are many aspects of healing that bring great rewards, but perhaps none is more fundamental or personal as healing at the body level. When we reclaim our bodies, we regain the access to the most direct knowledge of our lives, our immediate physical experience. When our bodies are our own again, we have a safe home in the world. And when we truly inhabit our bodies, we are empowered. And that was from The Courage to Heal, again, by Ellen Bass and Laura Davies. And I think it's just absolutely important. Body work is very difficult to do as a survivor of uh, sexual abuse or trauma. But it's it's very, very important. And you'll find a lot of the times when you start within yourself, when you start within your body, that a lot of things kind of come after that. When, when we mend that, that broken bridge between ourselves, our spirit, and our, and our bodies, you can find that a lot of the answers that you didn't have might come to you. And maybe this is an uncomfortable topic for you. Maybe it might sound a little, I don't know, crunchy. (laughs) But the connection between the body and everything else is so valuable. You only have this one body that you do live in. And like Ellen Bass and Laura Davies said, it is the one home that you can come back to. And if you take good care of it, It might be the home that allows you to do so many things that you didn't realize that you could do, regardless of 
whether or not you are physically able to. And so with that, we talked about categories of the mind, the spirit. We talked a little bit about self-sustainment and we ended with the body. And when we think about all of these things, or maybe perhaps you did a portion of it, think about and write about where you're at. And think about what speaks to you the most. What is the most pressing? Are there things in your life that create positive or negative ripple effects in other places of your life? And pay attention to what you reacted the most strongly to. Maybe that's something that you could probably consider prioritizing first. Maybe it's something that you should probably take care of right away. Or maybe you've discovered that there might be some things in your life that you can probably do without and that might probably make a positive effect on a lot of different categories of your life. And I've separated them into four different places, but really a lot of these things are interconnected. They affect each other in some way. And after you dive deep into this very involved reflection, there's something that I want to share with you. And this will be this will probably be the only, um, one of the only assignments that I'll include in the blog post for this episode. But there was something that I found on Instagram that I really enjoyed um, by this, by the account Dandelion Roots. She is also a survivor. And the post that she shared was something that her therapist had asked her to do. And the assignment was to write a love letter to yourself and to include the following words. Love, notice, enjoy, proud, cherish, hope, believe, and promise. The eight words we all need to hear. And so I leave you with that. I recognize that this exercise might have been very difficult for some of us. And maybe on the flip side, this exercise might have helped you to realize how far you've come despite the hardship that you've been through. Wherever you're at, whatever you might have discovered today, I just want to remind you that there is a better tomorrow and it must always begin with what you have. And when you're ready, soon you can start asking the why and whether or not there is a how behind everything that you've been so stressed out about, behind the things in your life that you've gotten used to, but you realize you want changed. There is a path for you that waits as long as you're willing to take it. As long as you're patient with yourself, as long as you respect the process, you will make it through 
your most difficult mountain and any other mountain that comes your way. Thank you so much for giving this a listen. I commend you for the amount of courage that it took for you to get to this point. Remember, you are never alone. And if you're in the most painful stages of your healing, there is hope. I hope that my work serves you well and that you can share your story too. If you would like to share your story at any capacity, wherever you might be in your journey, please send me a private message through the Instagram at Relentless Joanna. And remember, timestamps, detail, and remember, I always include detailed timestamps on the website at www.relentlessjoanna.com. There will be a couple of handouts that I'll include there as well. And the blog post will also include a lot of the resources that I mentioned in this episode. Take care and catch you in the next episode.